All right, well this morning we are back into our walk with the Corinthians and they are just teaching us a lot. Uh, Appreciate these folks because they're accessible, they're like us, they're not all polished up, got it all together, they are fumbling, making a mess and needing input and that just sounds like our lives too, doesn't it? Uh, I, I titled the message today, Discussing and Debating Life. And here's why that first little note in your outline there says, at some point and in multiple categories, we are going to find ourselves discussing and debating life. And that's what we're going to see the Apostle Paul do today. So I was, there's content specific in this message that's going to play the background for analyzing the way in which Paul interacts with life. And so I don't want us to miss this because we do this every day. We interact with popular thinking, ways of thinking, arguments for life. We're trying to win arguments on the inside. Am I going to do that or not? Should I do that or not? Should I walk this path or not? I'm, I'm facing those inner arguments all the time. And I've got I've to win the debate in that moment. So when I use that word debate, I'm not trying to teach us how to be obnoxious to people who don't have our perspective in the world. But, but we are going to learn to have a conversation with our culture. And the church critically needs to do that. As I was preparing this message, I remembered a book I'd read a while back by J.I. Packer. I loved his title. It caught my attention. He wrote it in 2013 called Taking God Seriously, Vital Things We Need to Know. And that's, that was the title of his book. Now, if you've ever read much of J.I. Packer, uh, J.I. Packer's got a lot to say in a lot of categories that are worth hearing. So when he says vital things we need to know, I was curious, what are those vital things, right? But listen to this thought from his book. He says, when a person falls into convulsions, short-term remedies may, for the moment, calm him down. But the long-term need is to diagnose the root cause of this, of this trouble and treat that. So it is today with churches around the world. Tensions over the question between and within provinces, dioceses, and congregations have become acute and there is no end in sight. What, we ask, is the root cause of these convulsions? What would be needed to get us beyond them? Right? He's specifically talking about the, the debates on popular issues today that have, that have caused schisms and divisions in church denominations, uh, the Episcopals, Anglicans, who are all related, have, have schismed uh, over answering questions that the culture is asking. Presbyterians have faced schisms over this. Methodism has faced schisms over this. So the culture has said, here's an important topic, let's talk about it. And churches have gone in this direction trying to figure out how to do that. He goes on and he says, the chapters included in the book, this book he's written, are ventures in adult catechesis, furnishing the mind and, listen, forming the judgment regarding key truths that are often challenged today. As an Anglican, I write with a sense of urgency in response to recent trends in my own church context. But readers who are not Anglicans will recognize many of the same trends in their own denominational circles and may find that this book speaks pointedly to their situations, challenges, and concerns. So there are these hot topic issues that are in our world today. And it's interesting where Packer suggests that we go with this, that we go to catechism class. That's where you think we ought to be going to talk about these hotbed issues? Well, the reason why this book came to mind was because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did in a hotbed issue that he was dealing with, with the Corinthians. He was pursuing something that was a noisy presence in the Corinthian church, in the popular culture, and he's going to go after the, the reasonings that are there. Now, this is, this is a little bit of a preaching challenge for me. Because, and you'll see this, and I want to highlight this so you'll see it as we read the passage together. Uh, There is one issue that's going to be addressed, that's in the culture, that's in the church that they're facing. 
But, and, and this is a loose count because I think I can make an argument for more than this. Paul is going to address one issue with eight doctrinal components. That's where he's going to go with addressing this popular issue in life. Eight doctrinal components. Now you can realize for me that's, that's a nightmare as a preacher. Because you know I have a hard time staying within bounds with one thing to talk about. So you throw eight on the table here. We've, we've got our hands full. Right? So I'm just going to fly through these eight. But I want us to see when it comes to certain issues of life, the stuff that we need to know might not be the stuff we think we need to know. We might be debating and discussing this stuff in the common day vernacular of the world. We get drawn into a subject, this hotbed subject that we'll look at today. We get drawn into that conversation and we've got our opinions and we bounce our thoughts off their thoughts. But, but please notice where this goes in this passage. The Apostle Paul schools us in how to have a conversation about things that really, really matter in our culture. I started the title of the message, Can We Talk? You know, remember that, somebody had that phrase, they used to have a show or something called that. Can we talk? Uh, and I want to conclude the message by starting it this way. Quite honestly, a lot of Christians can't talk. Because they don't know enough of the right information to even talk about. So, I don't know how offensive that feels to you, but... We need what this passage teaches us to do with hot topics. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Now, please notice in your Bible that all things are lawful for me is in quotes. Right? There's two phrases in this opening paragraph that are in quotes because Paul is quoting a common idea that's being spoken and shared in Corinth and in the church. So, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Another quote here. Well, food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he was joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, thank you for giving us a place to encounter inspired words. A perspective that is perfect, doesn't change, it doesn't get subject to opinion, it doesn't shift, it doesn't become suddenly outdated. Or your perspective truly is the only absolute, trustworthy, eternal perspective that there is. You have preserved that in your word. So Lord, help us to interact with your word this morning. We need the help that it offers us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have one hot topic in this section. Did you pick up on what it was? Sexual immorality. Right? That's the hot topic that Paul is going to be addressing. And it's a very hot topic for them. Is that a hot topic for us? That's a very hot topic for us as well. But for very different reasons. Not very different. Somewhat different reasons for us today. But I want you to notice something here. Because what I'm going to call the, the, the common language street talk that's present in Corinth is important to pick up on. Because when things start to feel common, 
When things start to feel like they've got a common explanation to them, and that starts to feel like it's accepted, and that's an acceptable line of reasoning right there, that does something to all of us. And the culture is what controls that, right? When you get enough people saying, oh, that's not a big deal, then everybody starts feeling like, well, I guess that's not a big deal. So over time, the Corinthians have this issue in them. We have this issue among us. And so this sexual immorality was, was getting explained. It was, it was getting handled with phrases like what he starts the discussion with. Well, all, all things are lawful for me. If you look at other translations, you'd find this. Everything is permissible. The NIV, NIV uh, translation says, I have the right to do anything. That's a little interesting. Spin. I have the right. And, and, then, and the, the Greek words used there have authority dipped in them a little bit. One translator says, I have authority over. So there, there is this dimension that there's this argument going on here that when it comes to decision making about what I do with me as a person, I, I, I've got the right. All things are lawful for me. Everything's permissible for me. All right, that's common vernacular in Corinth. Does that sound familiar at all to us today? Right, here's just a couple of thoughts, right? What's gotten installed in our vocabulary used to not exist. Now, I'm going I'm to run the risk of offending a few people here today. But can you just go with me here for a second? Just give me permission to back up about 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. And... And for us just to realize the culture changed the terms and created new terms that have now become acceptable. And so you associate these acceptable terms with a particular moral practice and you've got a dilemma on your hands. So at some point, our culture introduced the idea that a woman has the rights over her own body. Do you understand that that phrase wasn't thrown around in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s. And, but then when Roe versus Wade came along, all of a sudden, that became an argument. The woman has the right over her own body. And the more that gained ground, it started to feel like, well, well, yeah. I mean, who else would have the right? Yeah, I mean, I guess that, that kind of sounds right. It start, just started to sound right to the culture. And it can start sounding right to everybody who hears it. Right? Well, uh, well, as opposed to who would have the right over her body? Uh, somebody walks up today and says, uh, I identify as blank. Fill in the blank. I identify as, you know, whatever it is. And you guys are encountering this on a regular basis today. All right? Again, I'm not trying to offend anybody who's struggling in any of these areas or has history in any, any of these areas. But you do recognize in the, in the culture, I don't even need the Bible to make this statement. In our culture, if 20 or 30 years ago you had come up and says, I identify as fill in the blank with whatever it is we're filling it in today. People would have questioned your psychological condition. That was a, that was a strange thought that you clearly are not. What you claim to be identifying as. You, you have a detachment from reality. You are living in denial. I mean, there's all kinds of phrases that would have gotten applied to that. But today, that's a common phrase, isn't it? I identify as sexual orientation. That's a common phrase. I mean, some of you guys are old enough. I don't know how you gray people are. You do remember in your life, those two words didn't go back to back. Do you remember that? You'd never heard those two words put together. Sexual orientation. Sexual preference. You, You never heard those words put together. At some point, the culture begins to redefine ideas. And it does such an effective job that it installs these ideas in such a way that if you get on the wrong side of those words today, whoo. You are deeply offensive. But listen, I'm not even using the Bible in saying these things. I'm just saying times have changed, haven't they? 
But what Paul was bumping into were things that were common. The culture had embraced them. The culture had defined them. And it had come into the lives of people in the form of sexual immorality. And you had this other little phrase that he throws around here is, well, hey, you know, like, food's for the stomach and the stomach's for food. Well, kind of what was that was being translated into in this category was, well, you know, the body is for sex and sex is for the body. So, you know, if I'm kind of getting around with a few other folks, that's what the body's for, man. Right? Well, where'd you get the idea to use it that way? Well, that's just common vernacular. It's just what we do. And listen, it's what they did in Corinth. Corinth had a reputation in this category. Sexual promiscuity. Prostitution was a massive deal in Corinth. It was a big deal in all of the Greco-Roman world. But it was a massive deal in Corinth. Corinth, you know, Corinth is this trade center. It sits, you know, on, on several interstate connections. It's a port city that has access to two sides of oceans that you can transfer stuff. So that you got a lot of people moving in and out of this place. On the hill overlooking Corinth is the Temple of Aphrodite. If you don't know who Aphrodite is, she's the goddess of fertility. So you would worship, approach, connect Aphrodite while you were in town, while you were passing through, because she's the goddess of fertility. She's the goddess who multiplies things. She could bring abundance into your flocks, into your your fields, into your business. So if you kind of want to increase stuff in your life, you get around Aphrodite. Well, Aphrodite is a fertility goddess. So how many know sex would be an easy thing to marry to the Aphrodite religion? So temple prostitutes who your worship of this goddess involved you having sex with the prostitutes of the temple as a means of cooperating, participating, getting her blessing, etc. So this just became part of the lifestyle. It was a common thing for people to be involved in sexual immorality. Now, what's interesting here, rewind in Israel's history, when they get around the Canaanites, they too get around this practice as well. So interesting little thing here, Hosea chapter 4, verse 13. Just want you to notice in particular how this little passage concludes. Hosea says, they sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, terebinth, because of their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore. And your brides commit adultery. Like the, the, the women of the people of God were getting involved in the prostitution rings of what was going on in their setting. <clears throat> God says, I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. Stop right there. Don't read the rest of this. How are we going to fix this problem? How are we going to address this issue of sexual immorality? Well, Paul's already taught us a lesson. I just want you to see this is a common approach for God. Hosea goes on and ends that section by saying, And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Why why does the apostle Paul... He's gonna, I'm going to walk through, make eight doctrinal statements in order to address sexual immorality. You just wouldn't think that's where you'd go with a conversation about sexual immorality. He's going to point out eight doctrinal Yes, because a people without understanding. Understanding. A people without understanding something will come to ruin. When it goes to the moment that you're going to make decisions about your life, What are you going to do? How are you going to approach something? Where are the boundaries and the borders? What you're going to say no to and what you're going to say yes to, you are going to do that out of your knowledge. You're going to know something or you're not going to know something. And in that moment, you're either going to be served by what you know or you're going to be in trouble. It matters whether you know what God has said. And that's why Paul is going to make eight doctrinal statements 
in the face of one issue that touches lives. Now, now let me just let me say this. Right here's sexual immorality is a broad term. It, it is it is it is a simple concept with many expressions to it. It is sex out of bounds. That's what immorality means. You have taken sex and you have placed it out of bounds. All right. So let me just give you an idea. What, how is sex out of bounds for us today? All right. Uh, pornography. A massive problem. Massive problem in the world today is sex out of bounds. Adultery and fornication. Everybody knows that one. Sex addiction. Right? Well, that's a new term. Sex addiction. We didn't used to call it that in the New Testament. See, if you call something by a new name, you get to define what that thing is. So, you know, just real, I don't want to chase all these thoughts in right now. Too many thoughts are crying out to me. Um, you think the Bible was ignorant when it just used the term lust? Come on, God inspiring the Bible. Don't you know better? This is more than lust. It's sex addiction. Listen, I'd be the first one, if you sat through more than a few messages, you've heard me say this. I'd be the first one to say, not everybody in this room struggles the same way with everything. There are people sitting next to you who the struggle with a particular aspect of sin is five times harder than it is for you. That's legit. And you've got your issues. So we're not all cookie cutters of each other. So... I'm not trying to say, hey, dude, you don't understand, man, the, the sex addict thing for me, is, it's just huge. Okay? But, but once you pull this concept out of the Bible and transport it over here and set it on this table and give it its own definition, you're about to make the Bible irrelevant to that thing. See, because I don't have a lust problem, I have a sexual addiction problem. And so if I'm going to get fixed in this, I'm going to probably go need to read a book that's got sexual addiction in the title of it, maybe. Probably, right? person who's a specialist in there. Like, the God who wrote the Bible isn't a specialist in you and what you're made of and how it operates in this world. So just be careful what we do with some of these. But this is the sexual orientation today. Is sex out of bounds? Sexual identity today. It is out of bounds. So can I say this? Can we talk? Can we talk about these things? Let me just say this. If you can't talk about the eight things I'm about to bring up, then we can't talk. Because the odds are you're going to talk about what the culture taught you to talk about. And the Bible is about to talk about eight things that you're going to, you would have done this if I hadn't done this message this way today. You'd have thought, what, what's that got to do with sexual addiction? What's that got to do with pornography? Everything. Or the inspired word of God would not have said this the way it says it to us today. All right, so let's run through these things. Let's get a look at these eight things that you need to know in order to address sexual immorality as it appears in our world and in our own lives. All right, first thing, we come in contact with Paul, picks up this little phraseology here. He says, all things are lawful for me. Question, does the Bible teach anything about boundaries? All right, this is a boundary question. This is a human being standing up and saying, I'm unbounded. I can do whatever it is I want to do in my life. Now, that has two things, and Paul's going to chase both of them, but he won't chase this first one very far here, but he will other places in Scripture. All right, so all things, all things are permissible for me. Everything's okay for me, but the, that term lawful got used there. All things are lawful for me. Most people, when they run to this verse, they, they narrowly pick it up, but I'm going to pick it up in this way too. If I use the word law, where did your mind go? Right, it goes into the Old Testament probably. It goes into the law of God. So it goes into a conversation about law and grace, doesn't it? So there is a dimension here. I don't think it's as featured as most people make it. But there is a dimension in this passage that what's allowable for a Christian is in this discussion. And some folks are going to frame their argument out of the idea that, hey, dude, we're not under the law, okay? We're under grace. 
And so the translation of that is all things are lawful for me. You know, stop telling me what I can and can't do. Quit throwing up boundaries for me. Can, can I just ask you if you've used the term legalism ever in your life? Um, are you one of those Christians who, whenever you hear a command, anything that sounds like it's requiring something of you, you pull out of your back pocket your legalism defense card? Oh, that's legal. That's legal. No, don't put me under that, man. That's legalism. We're not under the law, Keith. We're under grace. Can I, can I dare say I would, I would love to sit down with you and, and see if you can make a biblical argument for what you're saying to me? Now, some of you can in an appropriate way. But when you go to do it, <clears throat> what you won't discover is a Bible that has no boundaries. Or a Bible that all of a sudden went quiet on commands. Or a Bible that no longer calls for obedience. Because you understand, all things are lawful for me. Okay, You're not going to find that. So if your first step into the world of sexual immorality is to give yourself broad boundaries and lots of permission, the Apostle Paul's got a problem with that. And he installs a doctrinal viewpoint. The understanding of Old Covenant and New Covenant theology. Can you write me a paper on that? Because if you can't write a paper, and by the way, every Christian should be able to write a paper on the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant theology and how they're related and how they're not. So you can stop get answer, you can give an answer to people who ask questions like, so seriously, I guess you don't eat crawfish, huh? This is a Christian, you know, because they're prohibited in Leviticus. All right, right, I'm gonna leave that out there and see if y'all can defend that. <laughs> right, you ought to be able to explain to people the difference between moral law and ceremonial law. You ought to be able to explain that. You ought to be able to explain that, that all the types and shadows and lessons and illustrations that get fulfilled in Christ, when you get on the other side of them, you relate to those things differently now than before he came. You ought to be able to explain that. And if you can't, you already are behind the eight ball in this whole discussion of how you're going to deal with sexual immorality. This is a relevant topic for sexual immorality. Right? Next thing he says. <clears throat> All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And he installs, if you will, the doctrine of dominance. Did you know there's such a thing? The doctrine of dominance? He said it this way. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6. He says, are we to sin because we're not under law? Right? Boundaries are gone. Let's just do whatever. By no means. Verse 16. Do you not know? And if you want to notice, do you not know is a phrase Paul uses a lot. Because what you know is critically important. You win and lose the battles of life based on what you know. Now listen, it's not the only thing that's important. The power of the Holy Spirit working in you to will and to do of God's good pleasure is as important as what you know. Practical things that you do, whether you put yourself in the crosshairs of pornography or not, and you, are you sitting in the room with it? That's pretty important. But listen, if you don't know anything, you're in trouble. That's why Paul can say over and over again, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Did you know that that applies? Did you know that that's the realities of life? Did you know that Paul is pulling this from a doctrinal standpoint? He, he is explaining to them and applying to them the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of depravity. That sin, when it entered a fallen world, it touched everything. Total depravity. It went everywhere and touched everything. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but you're still in this world. Now, there's coming a day... And this, this is all doctrinal stuff. There's coming a day when you and I will enter into glory and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and all the wiring will change and all the corruption will go away. Do you understand? That is not today. I need to hear this 
understanding that if I get around something and I present myself to it, I am volunteering for slavery. That's what I'm volunteering for. Because the way in which my fallen humanity still operates, the way in which sin still operates, the fact that there's a real devil in the real world that I live in is is making me a candidate for slavery for certain things. That if I present myself to them, I will become dominated by them. Did, Did you know that? Did, did you know that when you thought I just would watch a little bit of pornography? You know, that truth, that principle right there is what steers me away from pornography more than anything else, I think. Is that true? Yeah, probably so. Because I know what I'm made of. I'm flammable. So, you know, it's like I don't want to dangle part of me over the fire and see... Oh, I wonder what this will do. <laughs> oh! Next thing you know, it's just all over you. Your whole, you're all on fire. And the, and the Bible says you, you become enslaved. You start losing your will and your power to do differently than what this thing is demanding that you do. Do you understand, Christian? This can still be you. That's why Paul says, hey, everything's lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I'm not going to let something take over me. And some things can take over, shift the course of your life. So in this conversation that you're having with sexual immorality, is this part of your conversation? Are you well-versed in the doctrine of depravity, in the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of a fallen world? Or, yeah, Keith, I could write more than a paragraph on that. Are you having a struggle with sexual immorality? This, this may be why you're struggling in this area. Look in verse 13. He says, God will destroy both one and the other. Right? So you got this food's meant for the body, the stomach, and the stomach for food. Well, just so that you know, God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Okay, stop. Paul, how do you make those statements? Where do you get the idea that what you just said is true? And interesting that when he says, hey, you know, food's for the stomach and sex is for the body, that he turns around and he says, oh, well, let me just introduce you to some, a thought that would compete with that thought. God, in who he is, and the role that he plays in the universe, will destroy both. What did he just introduce you to? He just introduced you to the God who has the authority over everything. Did you know God has authority over everything? That he turns the lights on and off as he wills? That he controls everything about his creation? So when you go and misuse it, because that's what he's going to say next is, you're misusing this. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not meant for that. Well, it is when I'm running the show. It's meant for whatever I want. Ah, but you remember the God who will destroy both of these? Have you taken that into account? That, That you're having your say right now, but ultimately it's him who has the say at the end. It's the creator who meant things for a purpose and your body's not meant for sexual immorality. All right, I'm going to resist running after this rabbit. But in the world of sexual orientation, sexual confusion, sexual expression, homosexuality... The defense of that is the opposite of what Paul just said. The body is meant for this. I have urges. I have desires. I've got to act on them. And then you have God turning around saying, the the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant to live here this way. And, And that comes from God being the creator. Do you have a healthy understanding that God is the creator with complete authority over everything he's created? And he gets to say what is allowable and what is not and what things were meant for and what was not. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that he was joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two 
will become one flesh. Where does this come from? How does Paul approach the argument of, it's okay, it's, everybody gets with a prostitute from time to time, man. It's just what people do. I mean, this is your first day in Corinth? Come on. It's just so common. You've heard, you hear it everywhere. It's talk at work. I mean, just everywhere. And yet, Paul would argue, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So what does he pull up right there? He, he pulls up the doctrine of marriage and sex, that God created this for a purpose. This doctrine of two people becoming one flesh, where do we get the idea that it even happens? It's taught in Genesis. It's in the blueprint for husband-wife relationship. So Paul is here going to argue, you want to talk sex? Let's put sex in its right territory and let's talk about it. It's between a husband and a wife. And when those two have sex, they do become one flesh. So when you get with that prostitute casually, that this isn't meant to last and it's just a little fling thing going on, you are becoming one flesh with that person. Did you know that? Oh, it's just a one night stand. Oh, it was a one flesh stand is what it was. How did, where does he get these ideas to argue them from? So you might think differently a little bit about just a fling. Now you mysteriously joined yourself to that person and became one with them. I mean, that's not what you were thinking, but that's what was happening. This next thought, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But, but, he who's joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. So here's a reality that touches on whether or not you would join your body to another person in the, in the physical intimate act of sex. It, Paul says, you know what's relevant to that? I don't know if you thought about this, but, but this is what's relevant to that. You are joined to the Lord and one spirit with him. That's relevant to that. Did, did you ever think about that? Because that's what Paul is saying here. When you go to think through whether or not I'm just going to enjoy the physical act of sex with another person. Have you thought that you are one spirit with the Lord? Because apparently that's relevant to what's going on in that bed. And You know, how to make it relevant, you know, I don't know if this has ever been said to you. But, you know, have in your mind the idea that when you climb in bed with that other person, you drag Jesus in with you. Because you're one spirit with him. You comfortable with that idea? That you're in there going after it. And the glorious God of the universe is one with you in spirit? Is that, is that okay with you? I mean, listen, you wouldn't just go out in public and have sex and let just anybody just watch, Right? Ignoring the fact that you are one spirit with the Son of God when you participate in sexual immorality. These are the arguments Paul is like, hey, you want reasons why not to do this? I'm going to drown you in reasons why not to do this. And he does. Back in verse 13 again. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Those are loaded, loaded words. Now, it's a good thing we took forever to study through the book of Exodus, isn't it? Because you know something about the temple, don't you? Do you have that imagery in your head? Do you remember looking at what God meticulously set up? This place, this dwelling place of God on earth that had multiple layers and boundaries around them. 
And nations couldn't get close. And even when the nation of God did, they had to go through one barrier after another after another. And they had to walk through ceremonies. They had to be clean in a certain way. Only certain individuals who God had ordained for them to have access in a particular way were granted access to the presence of God. You get this sense when you got around the tabernacle that you were on holy ground. And you were aware that this God is like nothing I've ever known. And then the New Testament turns around and said, and he just became your roommate. And he lives inside of you. And your body was meant for something, by the way. It was meant to be the dwelling place of the presence of God. Sure you want to go climb in bed with that person right now? Right? This means something when you and I think these issues through. Verse 13. Body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and he will also raise us up by his power. Did you, did you know that a raised, resurrected body is relevant to sexual immorality? See, in this moment when Paul contemplates how we're approaching this subject, he pulls the future into right now. <clears throat> he says one day... Just as we are members of Christ and he was raised to be with God, we will be raised as well. We're going to get new bodies, but they're going to be raised bodies. So this body matters because somehow God's going to pick this body up and resurrect it into another form. So what you do with this body matters because there's a little bit of a permanent arrangement between you and your body that God has in mind for eternity. Paul said, you know what? That's relevant. Let's talk resurrected bodies because that's relevant to sexual immorality. Would you have thought that was relevant to sexual immorality? I mean, let's, some of us, the only thing that we're thinking <clears throat> is relevant is whether I get caught, how shameful and embarrassing it would be, and whether I'll get a sexually transmitted disease. Now, there's three good reasons not to have sex and not to go outside the boundaries, right? Were you thinking resurrected body? Probably not, right? But do you see where the Bible goes here? This is a lot to remember. One more that just screams out at us. Verse 19. <clears throat> you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body you are not your own you were bought with a price okay honestly when was the last time you stopped and thought i'm i'm not the owner and how many of us are running around every day of our lives thinking i'm the owner i'm i have rights well you would if you owned anything I don't know if you read the fine print. When you gave your life to Christ, you really gave your life to Christ. He owns everything. You own nothing. Well, I've got some, I've got some things I'd like to do. Well, take it up with the owner. And the shock here is, you guys in Corinth, you are you are out of bounds here. Do you not know that you don't own yourselves? What, what has happened to you? That you think that, that you could make these choices and choose these. This is the most, you know, here's an argument. You don't own anything. So the doctrine of lordship. If I asked you to write a paper on lordship, could you write a paper on lordship? I mentioned, you know, last week, a lot of us could write a paper on hippie Jesus. Could you write a paper on lordship? On the Greek word kurios, what does it mean for God to be Lord of my life? See, if I can write a paper on that and I have the knowledge of that and I understand who's the owner sincerely, who is the owner of my life, when I go to do anything in my life, I'm not the owner. I might be the guy with an impulse, I might have strong desires, but I'm not the owner. And so my impulses and desires are going to have to sit underneath the authority of God who is the owner. 
Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Right? This phrase, if I ask you to write a paper on all things exist for the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. All things exist for the glory. Could you, what, what would you write on that? Right? That's why a little catchphrase around here is growing together for the glory of God. All things, the Bible says, exist for the glory of God. Christ created all things. They were created through him and for him. They all exist for the glory of God. That's a, that's a nice phrase. Can, can you write anything on that? Could you, could you write a paper on what does it mean for all things to exist for the glory of God? See, that is extremely relevant the day you face sexual temptation. The day you have a discussion about whether or not you're going to go in that direction or anybody else should or not. Whether or not you understand your breath exists, your life exists for the glory of God. And the idea that you have impulses on the inside of you that you must figure out how to be faithful to has to sit next to that idea. But all things exist for the glory of God. So if your impulse is to do something that's out of bounds and doesn't glorify God, then you are not to do it. Oh, but you don't know how hard that is. I didn't say anything about easy and hard yet. There's lots of things that we do in our lives that are hard. But we do them for the glory of God. And so... Sexual immorality and all these little labels that I mentioned earlier, this is a hot topic for us today. This is in our culture, it's in our lives, it's affecting our world. It needs to be answered doctrinally. Doctrinally. You need to know the right things. And that's not just a debate about how to win somebody's debate about Roe versus Wade or whatever. It's a doctrinal debate, right? J.I. Packer says, who needs doctrine? You do. I do. We all do. Everybody needs doctrine. If he or she is ever to know God. Granted, most people are aware that some sort of supreme being exists, but nobody comes to know him relationally without first learning key facts about him. Who and what he is. What he has done, is doing, and will do. And for this, we need doctrine. Doctrine is the map that guides us on our cross-country journey through the thousand-odd pages of the Bible, on the one hand, and on the complexities of godly living on the other. Doctrine is the, the spectacles through which we discern the stepping to- stones across the rapids and through the swamps that keep our feet on the path of life. Doctrine, indeed, is the surgical cure For the natural spiritual blindness that otherwise makes it impossible for us to find where the path of life begins. Doctrine is the data about the Lord Jesus Christ that makes faith in him possible. And then doctrine becomes, so to speak, the cookbook for life. Giving the correct recipe for each venture in belief and behavior. So, can we talk? I don't know. Can we? Can we have a legitimate conversation about sex and sexual immorality if you don't have anything to say out of the eight categories that I just mentioned? Probably can't have much of a conversation. Seriously. So it's strange. Eric, you can come back up or Ronald. Um... seems like a strange altar call for a sexual immorality message. (laughs) What you know and what you don't know, what you've taken the time to know, what you've studied, what you've buried in your own soul is massively important to sexual immorality. How it sits in your life, uh, in our church, in our view, so in, in, in one way, I do want to pray for folks this morning, and in a particular way in a minute we will. But in another way, I, I want to introduce you to something that actually it takes, it takes some time. It takes life patterns to know things. 
All right. All right, so here we are, almost into May, and hopefully you've got some thoughts, maybe some summer reading. Maybe you're going to be doing some summer reading. Oh, I don't like to read. Listen, um, I'm going to get a, a really ugly plaque and put it somewhere in here. Um, you know, Christianity is not for the stupid. I'm not sure it's going to say something like that. You have to know things. You have to really know things. And you've got to know them in such a way that they're compelling to you so that when somebody brings up sexual immorality, you know to bring up the temple of God. You, you know it. It's inside of you. Paul doesn't hesitate here. Scratch his head go, oh, oh, what if your wife catches you, huh? What are you going to do then? What if you get a disease, huh? You don't hear that from Paul. He pulls doctrine out one after another. You know, this is relevant to that. this one too. Sit down. This is relevant. If you don't know these things, you, you're going into battle, no bullets. You got nothing to fire with, nothing to fight with. So how do you get about knowing some things? All right, put a slide together here. Take a picture of this. Uh, any of these books would be outstanding places, and at some point you can't go to heaven until you've read all of them. <laughs> but these would just be outstanding books to start. Some of you guys aren't taking pictures. You're not even writing anything down. Listen, do not continue to be stupid. I'm going to put a plaque up. They're probably, uh, if you're looking for biggest one, the one on the right's biggest one. That one's, you know, study it for the rest of your life. It's very big. Uh, The Christian Life by Sinclair Ferguson is, is a reduced version of that giant book, if you will. And it's, it's wonderfully written, easily accessible, very relevant. J.I. Packer's Knowing God is a Christian classic. I think they ask you about that when you get to heaven, whether you've read that one. Um, the Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer is a small book, but you won't be able to read it very quickly. Um, it's just very thoughtful, very thought-provoking. All right, so whether you are a reader or not, get the audible version. I don't know what to tell you, but you've got to get this stuff inside of you. All of us have have got to have our minds renewed. We've got to have access to things that matter. All these points Paul makes, they matter. They may be the difference between whether or not I say yes to something that's going to enslave me, destroy me, or whether I say no to it. That's a big deal, isn't it? All right, let's stand up together. Lord, we just want to slow down just for a moment with you. I pray that you'd give us grace to just fully be here right now. Not yet giving ourselves permission to move on into the next thing of the day. And Lord, maybe we are here this morning. living a life that lacks wisdom, it lacks boundaries maybe we didn't use the phrase all things are lawful for me we've kind of made choices like it doesn't matter and we found ourselves in a place Lord there are some here who are in a place where it's gotten darker and darker and darker more and more controlling they've lost freedom increasingly God I thank you for moments like this where you gather us together Lord I thank you for people who are here this morning who sexual immorality even just that one issue maybe there's others but that one is this menacing, large, dark figure in life. But Lord, this this is a moment of intruding grace right here, right now, this morning. 
could have been in another book discussing another passage. But Lord, this is where you had us. And for some, Lord, this is the off-ramp. This morning, Lord, this is the off-ramp. Because you meant it. And there's possibilities and there's hope when the God of the universe who designed us turns around and says, your body wasn't meant for sexual immorality. It means it can stop. It means we can change and fulfill the purpose you had for our bodies. God, would you rescue some here with faith to believe have to continue well, this is one hot topic and maybe there would be several that would feel this way that just need a rich deep revelation knowledge of you to undo the control the dominance that has come in when we just got a little sloppy thought the boundaries didn't matter now we're in over our heads and we don't know how to get out Lord this morning whatever the issue is would you intrude into that space there is a way out and you have argued for that way eight different ways you have argued God this morning help us Help us in this room. Help this morning to be a changing moment. Listen, at some at some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna give us an opportunity to pray. I realize how awkward this is to be in a setting where what we've been discussing would then be an opportunity to respond to it but but respond you must you must now what that response needs to be for you I I don't know that I want to script that for you but you must respond in faith you must get into agreement with God you must confess if you're out of bounds you must tell God God I agree I'm out of bounds in this area of my life I'm out of bounds whatever it is out of bounds and repentance means you're willing to abandon that thing it's pleasures it's offers whatever it is you're willing to abandon it you're there for a reason don't get tricked that it's hard for you to abandon that reason you are there for a reason you gave into this because it offered you something so don't feel like oh I don't know if I can decide yes you can decide not to you're going to be giving something up are you willing to do that but you're going to be getting something in exchange. Are you willing to have that? So you're going to need to confess. You're going to need to repent. And you're going to need a new day and a new way of doing that new day. And that's probably going to need somebody besides you being involved with that. Nobody can confess for you and nobody can repent for you. But you might not have any idea how to move forward. And you're going to need some help in that. So in that regard, I would say, do you need to respond in such a way that that some folks can pray with you today? Or do you need to respond in a way that says, I'm intentionally going to get with so-and-so this week and share where I'm at, ask for some help. I'm going to do that this week. I think either of those could be responses. But I I want us to be able to pray for folks. And and maybe the message wasn't the sweet spot of your need this morning. Uh, Maybe you've got another area that you'd like for us to pray for you about. I'm going to ask the the prayer team and the elders and pastors to come join me in prayer. Um, I know there are many needs. I want want to highlight one for you. Uh, Just, uh, I think this man has played a role in so many of our lives uh, through the years. He's one of those people who never needs anything never known this man to have a need Um, he's got a need Uh, Bill Treby's got a pretty significant surgery happening this Thursday I want us to pray for him Um, he has served this church he has served so many of us so faithfully 
through these years. And literally, the dude never needs anything. So that's another thing. Please pray for how to care for a man who's never had a need. Pray for his wife because that's going to be a challenge. Bill, come on up here. <laughs> so I'm going to ask the elders to come anoint Bill with oil and pray for him. But whatever your need is this morning, if you, if you feel like, I, I need to respond by coming forward and, and receiving prayer for this. Uh, come, come and do that. Come and do that right now. Come out from where you are. Find the off-ramp God is bringing to your life this morning. And engage God fully here. Don't just hear something that was preached. Come and get something from God that's going to make a difference for days ahead. So I'm going to let Eric or Ronald lead us. But we're going to be down here praying for folks. So if you want to come, whatever the need is, maybe it wasn't exactly what we talked about today, but whatever that need is, come and, and we're going to join with you in prayer. Ask God to invade that situation for you.